I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. That's right. Episode two of the weekly Web Foot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you right now. The newest podcast from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Your home for all the latest happenings surrounding the Oregon Ducks. We've got a lot to get to this week. To start, we'll check on the men's basketball team and their roster situation. They lost out on a big recruit. I mean, huge but have gotten a commitment as well. So we'll paint a clear picture of the Ducks men's basketball team coming up on the weekly web foot review. Also, we've got a lot to unpack surrounding the spring football game. That is right. We're in the middle of April. That means spring football all across the nation, folks. You know, you're wishing for maybe the AAF to come back. Well, it's not. They're bankrupt. Wishing for August to get here. Well, we've still got a few months, but... Get your fix. The last couple of weeks have been full of spring football all around the country. And this last Saturday, the Oregon Ducks played their spring football game down in Eugene. A fun Saturday at Odson. That was great. They had a lot of stuff going on. And we've got some answers to those burning questions that we've had about the team. I brought them up in last week's podcast, if you forgot. Really big issues that fans have with the Ducks going into this part of the season. Number one, do they have a legitimate backup quarterback? Is Tyler Shuck the guy behind Justin Herbert? Because Braxton Burmeister was not. Question two, how did Juwan Johnson look in his first quote-unquote game? It's not really a game. It's a practice, but we'll consider it a game for all intensive purposes right now. How did Juwan Johnson look in his first game action with the Ducks? And probably the most important How did defensive coordinator Andy Avalos fit in, into his job, in with the rest of the team, in with the rest of the coaching staff? That's the first chance that you're going to have as that coach to put the headset on, kind of start to gel with the guys, get sort of what a game vibe would be, how it's going to feel, you know, for you at Oregon on Saturdays. Obviously, I came from Boise State. He's done this job before, but a lot different at a Power 5 school. Boise State is not Oregon. I know that they've been good at points. They never will be Oregon, though. And the expectations at Autzen Stadium in Eugene for the Oregon Ducks are a lot higher. So how did Andy Avalos handle himself? We're going to talk all about that, those answers, and more coming up. And we'll also get a preview of which former Ducks now, as of weeks ago, former Ducks could go in the NFL draft this weekend. Also, a feature that we're going to do every week this week in Ducks history is a fun one. We're going to highlight all of the Ducks' first-round draft picks of all time. All of them. 
You know how many? How many ducks do you think have gone in the first round of the NFL draft all time? I'll give you the answer right now. The number 17 ducks all time going in the first round. Do you remember all of them? (laughs) I sure didn't. So stick around for a fun trip down ducks memory lane. That that was pretty cool looking all that info up. And I think you're going to be having some fun listening to all these different players, bringing back some memories that you had watching your favorite college football team in the fall. So let's get right down into the Ducks roster situation surrounding the men's basketball team. All right, a lot of big bits of news this week. We've heard that Cole Williams has officially, that is right, the highly sought-after five-star recruit, Cole Williams, has officially chosen where he's going to play. Take a listen. What is that decision? Where are you going to go to college? So just I really want to thank all the schools that recruited me. I mean, I had my Final Four, but... At the end of the day, we have, end up going with North Carolina. North Carolina. <laughs> Get everyone can clap. He's, got <laughs> He's got family and friends close by. What made that the, the right um, choice for you? I mean, well, we really uh, pushed this decision back a lot. I mean, we really just kept looking at all our schools, and I just always end up, wound up going back to Carolina. I mean, I really – it felt like family, a family to me. I love Coach Williams, Coach Davis, and I just really – it's up to me. I'd be on campus tomorrow. All right. So Cole Anthony, no duckies for Cole. I'm sure that it feels like a family over at UNC. I, I would bet that it feels like a family at the University of Oregon too, buddy. Uh, you know what? Summing it up there, just saying that, oh, it's a family environment. Not sure I believe that, but I'll try not to dive too deep into that. Uh, good for Cole Williams making a decision for his future. It's his right to do what he wants. Am I mad that he didn't come to the University of Oregon? Of course. But Cole Williams officially committing to play for Roy Williams and the Tar Heels at North Carolina. There is some good news, though. Oregon has officially landed transfer Eric Williams Jr. Big news for the Ducks this week and their basketball team. He comes from Duquesne and actually announced his commitment while on campus in Eugene. Yeah, Dana Altman crossing his fingers right now that Williams will actually be able to play as a transfer student But the NCAA kind of starting to change their rules up a little bit, trying to allow more transfer athletes in all sports to just start playing. Traditionally, you've had that one-year removal rule, so you've got an ineligible year because of a transfer. It's called the transfer year, so you can't play any sports. But thankfully, the NCAA starting to get smart, sort of, with their rulemaking. I mean, there's a lot of rules that I don't like in the NCAA that are pretty stupid, but but. They're starting to understand that a student's eligibility and how it affects their future is a really big deal. And they have a say in that and they can actually affect that these kids could go somewhere faster, possibly get some money faster going to the NBA. I'm all for that. I love that kind of loosening up by the NCAA. I mean, they've got so many rules. Like, for instance, I don't know if you know this as a college, this is basketball, college basketball fan, but you will never see a player wearing over the number 55 on a college basketball team. Do you know why? Because of the refs, because they want to be easy. So there is a specific rule. This is in the NCAA rulebook. No player can wear any number over five. So that includes two digits. You can have five, five. So you can have up to 55. But they literally don't do this so they can save the referee's time during the game while they are giving hand signals. Yes, 
This isn't some kind of eligibility thing. This isn't some kind of confusing rule. This is a stupid, stupid rule that college basketball players have to abide by. None of them can wear a jersey number over five. So six, seven, eight, and nine, all gone. Any combination of those four numbers, 67, can't wear it. Can't wear number seven by itself. I can't even wear number 29 because it's got a nine in it. I've got 20 to 25. Those are my options simply to allow the referees to give the signals with their hands in a quick amount of time. Anybody tell me why that's okay? Anybody tell me why they think that they should be limiting kids in that kind of way? That's a stupid rule, and it's representative of a lot of other stupid rules that they have in the NCAA. That has eaten at my crow for so many years. Every time I see a player, you see so many zeros now. You see so many guys with the number 55 because normally they wear like, you know, 48 or some high number. And they're just like, well, I guess I'll go as high as I can. and I'll go to 55. It's stupid. It's a stupid rule. And the NCAA needs to change it. But thankfully, they are taking onus on one of their issues that they've had in the past, which is the transfer thing, which is the whole reason I brought this up. And thankfully, they are allowing players like Eric Williams Jr., hopefully anyways, hopefully to play for the University of Oregon and not deal with sitting out for a year because of transfer eligibility. I mean, Eric Williams, a huge asset for the Ducks. You win some and you lose some, right, Ducks fans? So as we talk about Cole Anthony committing to the University of North Carolina and looking at Eric Williams Jr. coming to the University of Oregon, looking like the Ducks have lost one more. It looks like Victor Bailey is going to leave the University of Oregon. Junior guard has officially entered the transfer portal. I, that is a huge loss, Duck fans. He led the team with a near 40% clip from three all season. It, it's not like he put up huge point numbers. He averaged about eight points, started in eight games. Unfortunately, I think he played in about 37 games. Unfortunately, though, at the end of the season... Dana Altman kept him out during the NCAA tournament and didn't play him at all during that Sweet 16 matchup against Virginia. Maybe Victor Bailey is feeling a little upset by that, a little slighted. I know that head coach Dana Altman says that he wanted Bailey to tighten some things up, but he wants him here in Eugene, the University of Oregon. I don't know, maybe it just, it seems like from my end, Victor wasn't necessarily feeling the love from Oregon, or maybe he thinks that he's going to get more minutes elsewhere. It's up to him. I mean, you look at the situation that the Ducks are in right now, losing Bull Bull, losing Lewis King, two seniors going away. There are going to be minutes to be had next year on the team, and Victor Bailey just says, nah, I'm gone. I, personally, I think that's a dumb decision on his part. Doesn't sound like he was sitting there during the Ducks run to the Sweet 16, watching it, thinking that this was something that he could help build on or he could be a part of. I mean, was he even focused on what the Ducks were doing and what he could be? There's a great program right in front of him that he's a part of. Shoots 40% from three. I Guess what, Victor? If you shoot well... That's not the only part of your college game. There are things that you're going to have to fix. Dana Altman's the master at that. So listen to the guy. Listen to your head coach. Don't just run off because you don't get the minutes you want. 
We all face adversity in this life, and I really think that Victor Bailey is running away from adversity. It really, really bugs me that he didn't want to get better with Dana Altman. I really think that there were opportunities for minutes for him here, possibly could have started this coming year, and if not, you're getting a good 20, 25 minutes off the bench probably because of your experience. You're a junior, you've been in this system for two years, and you just decide to go start over. I don't like that. There must be something going on in Eugene with Victor Bailey that I didn't know about because I think that's a terrible decision. It's his right to put his own career first, but he's giving up a great chance with a team that has a good coach that will really need him next year. All right, aside from Victor Bailey, of course, Peyton Pritchard and Kenny Wooten are looking at their draft prospects right now, but a lot of people are expecting them to return to the Ducks next season. So I would bet the house I don't own that Peyton Pritchard and Kenny Wooten will be in Ducks uniforms next year. And with all the additions, I'm excited about what they've got going on. Eric Williams Jr. now, the combo of five-star small forward C.J. Walker coming in, a recruit, another recruit, Juco National Player of the Year, Chris Duarte, and four-star forward Chandler Lawson. Lots of good talent. So while they miss out on Anthony, Dana Altman should have lots of guys and lots of different ways to tinker with his lineup. Still, still not convinced, though, that Victor Bailey leaving was the right call. All right, coming up next, the Oregon Ducks spring game breakdown. Those three questions. Can Tyler Shuck play? Are Justin and Juwan Howard on the same page? And how did Andy Avalos look as the defensive coordinator for Oregon during his first spring game? This is the weekly Webfoot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the weekly Webfoot review for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Thanks for finding us on iTunes. Please give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. All those algorithms, wherever you find your podcast, really like those five-star reviews. Put us up to the top so other Ducks fans can find us. We've been talking Ducks basketball. Time to shift gears and talk about the Oregon Ducks and their spring football game. And what a fun weekend this last weekend down in Eugene was. Of course, the spring game this year in 2019 fell on Easter weekend. There was a baseball game in the morning. Heck, over 35,000 Duck fans showed up to watch. Even better. And on top of all that, Oregon lined up a ton. I I'm talking about pulling out all the stops. A ton of distinguished guests for the game. Dan Fouts, Gary Zimmerman were the honorary coin toss captains. That was pretty cool. Former quarterback Dennis Dixon was there as well. Marcus Mariota, Kenyon Barner showed up. How about that? It was a monster recruiting opportunity for the Ducks as well as they hosted a plethora of five-star recruits. And speaking of recruits, big news recruiting-wise now for the football team before we get into the spring game 
Leading up to that game last week, after I taped our episode of the weekly Webfoot Review, Oregon landed three commitments. Anthony Beavers Jr., four-star for the class of 2021, four-star Jaden Navarrete, and one of the big ones for the class of 2020, four-star wide receiver Chris Hudson. So the Ducks really getting it done on the recruiting end, really filling that cupboard back up after Mark Helfrich couldn't do anything. After he used up every tool, <laughs> Chip Kelly left him at his disposal and really couldn't go out and find anyone else. That That's a major change from then to now for the University of Oregon football program. It's why they brought Willie Taggart in and, you know, that debacle over now, Mario Cristobal really establishing the culture, establishing himself as someone that's going to go out and really work for the best recruits. As a college football fan and as a Ducks fan, I, I feel so lucky and I feel like You've hit the jackpot if you're a Ducks fan because you got a guy that A, wants to be there and B, cares so much about the players and the product on the field and C, knows how to go out and get players and bring them into this fold. So you got three guys committing to the University of Oregon last week before the spring game. And it was a fun spring game. Of course, it was... <laughs> now, these are always weird. Mighty Oregon playing the Fighting Ducks 20-13. to 13. It was a pretty good contest. A 64-yard catch for C.J. Verdell, and then running after that to finish up a nice play, set Justin Herbert up for an early strike to Juwan Johnson in the game, and we got to see his 6-4 frame on display pretty quickly in the first half. That was fun to see what Justin Herbert and Juwan Johnson could be doing this year, and just seeing Justin Herbert Having a nice game, normal, even though it's quote-unquote practice, it's still a game for me. Justin Herbert throwing for 219 yards, two touchdown passes. Obviously, the completion percentage, if you are looking at the hard stats, not great, 17 of 32, but I'd rather Justin Herbert in a regular game keep trying and keep trying and keep trying if the running game isn't there because he's got the ability to change a game at any moment. That's Justin Herbert. And if you're the Oregon Ducks, you got to put trust in Justin Herbert to make those big plays. It's not like he made any big mistakes either. This was a pretty vanilla offense for the spring game. So 17 to 32 in the spring game, it is what it is. But after Justin Herbert, you look down on the depth chart. And if you're a Ducks fan, you might be a little worried going forward. You wonder, where is the Ducks football program going from here? Well, we've been told that Tyler Shuck should be next up on the list. And we saw him in uniform for the Ducks last year. Not really playing much, though. Technically, Braxton Burmeister is still the backup. But once again, if you haven't heard Duck fans, he's gone. He transferred to Virginia Tech back in January. <laughs> Hilarious. I, if Virginia Tech is going to start him, I want to watch the first couple of games there because I don't think that he's going to do very well for them. He didn't look composed when he was playing for the Ducks. He didn't ever, ever look like he could actually throw the ball. Seriously, what good are you as a quarterback if when you get into game action, you freeze up and you can't throw the ball? That's what Braxton Burmeister was. So good riddance. Hopefully Tyler Shuck can actually take advantage of this time. Redshirted last year, this year coming in, just trying to be a part of of the offense, of the learning process, and a bigger part than he has been before. 
Not too bad in the spring game. 18 of 31, 178 yards. He did have a late interception, but what was big for me, some of the speed showing for Tyler Shuck. Three carries, 12 yards. He actually had a nice, good 10-yard run in college. They count your sacks as minus yards. So if you get sacked, he probably had like 20 or 25 yards throughout the game, but the sacks or losses for him took that back. Also, on the other side of the ball, Kayvon Thibodeau, it got consistent pressure against the second-team offensive line. He had a couple of tackles. He had a pass breakup as well. That's a new name that I think you're going to be seeing a lot of this year, Duck fans. Check this out. Cyrus Habibi Likio, 12 carries, 45 yards, had a score, and even had a few catches. It's nice to see the big kid, the kid that's supposed to be shoving you up front that can really move the line, can also get out and catch a couple of passes in the open field. I saw a lot of maturity from a lot of these guys at the spring game, and they looked really confident. And I think with this experience, they're going to look more and more confident going into next year. And that opener against Auburn is going to be huge. So there really isn't any time for growing pains. There isn't any room for learning how to do this. The Ducks have to show up game one ready to go. And some of these players looking how they did at the spring game, gives me confidence that that's what's going to happen. So Tyler Shuck can play. He was quoted after the game, said he just felt really comfortable out there. At this point, it's just executing the plays, executing the game plan, and having fun with it. Heck, even Jawan Johnson, transfer from Penn State, says he notices no drop-off when Shuck takes the reins. Quote, I was with the two and threes when I first got here. There was no fall-off. He's making the right checks and the right decisions with the ball. He was managing the offense as he was the number one quarterback. Also hearing praises from Coach Mario Cristobal, too, saying he went out there today, did some nice things, made some nice throws. That was a quote after the game from Mario Cristobal. Another one, he's certainly grown and improved a good amount throughout the end of last season and this spring. I mean, with another year of development sitting under Justin Herbert, he looks like that he is ready to take the keys when Justin Herbert graduates and goes to the NFL. He's on a higher level than recent backups like Braxton Burmeister. Everybody remember Jeff Locke, uh, Brian Bennett. Backups at Oregon traditionally have been pretty weak, right? And seeing what Tyler can do under center for his first legitimate action, extended action, it gives me hope. And we're talking about the consistency of the program going forward. I am telling you, Duck fans, it is going to be huge giving him this year of development under Justin Herbert. They are going to look so much better. I bet that that would allow them to get two more wins than they would have next season if Tyler Shuck were just playing and trying to learn and getting his feet put into the fire and just thrown out there. That's not a successful way to do it. Justin Herbert looked terrible his first year. If he had the tutelage of somebody bigger and smarter and older than him that knew the Ducks offense, Justin Herbert, if it's possible, would look even better than he does now. Well, now he can be that for Tyler Shuck. And I tell you what, Ducks fans, I definitely think that Tyler Shuck going forward is going to be a fantastic quarterback and has the ability to take them to a pretty high level. You know, it's only spring, but the questions that everybody has about Justin Herbert having a go-to weapon can already be put to rest. Jawan Johnson, 
tall and athletic and the wide receiver that Justin needs. They didn't waste any time getting in sync with each other. That early touchdown pass, they actually had a total of three catches. Juwan did for 32 yards in that touchdown. Looks like he was targeted seven times during the spring game. So you can just see how great and fast and tall he is out there. He's obviously got the talent to make an impact on every play. So Justin Herbert's going to be looking to Juwan Johnson a lot this year. And we saw that already on Saturday. Although he wasn't the only player that Herbert found repeatedly during the spring game. Travis Dye. I talked about this last week. I want Travis Dye to get out and run some routes more. Found him for three receptions. The earlier one from C.J. Verdell that I was talking about. C.J. Verdell, a big reception downfield, catch and run. 26-yard pass to Brennan Schooler. Hopefully, Schooler can actually make an impact this year. He had a few important catches at times last year, but that's a kid that I expect to be more involved when the Ducks get down to grinding time. He should be there. He should be a target, and he should be working really hard to get the ball up the field. He has that strength. Brendan Schooler does. Also, Oregon's two other new receivers, freshman Micah Pittman and Josh Delgado. They were only on the second team offense, but they've been working with Justin Herbert a little bit. I tell you what, Micah Pittman, that kid scares me. He looks athletic. He reminds me of Keenan Lowe back in the day coming to the Oregon Ducks. Was very, very athletic. Could have played on either side of the ball. For Oregon, Micah Pittman is fast. And new receivers coach Javon Booknight has tried to give those younger guys confidence and seemed like that they were feeling it, at least on Saturday. I know it's not a real game, but to see them running routes confidently as young kids, I know it's a small thing, but that's a win for me as an Oregon Ducks fan. So questions about the quarterbacks and the wide receivers getting answered. Flipping over to the defense. How do they look under new defensive coordinator Andy Avalos? Well, the Ducks came out in a 3-3-5 nickel defensive scheme during the Ducks' spring game. A little different than what we've seen before. We've seen a 3-4 defense out of them in the past couple of years under Jim Levitt, and now, obviously, that's changing up. So the 3-3 nickel base, it features three down linemen, like, like literally four-point stances for the linemen up front, trying to rush to the quarterback, three linebackers, an extra linebacker mostly acting as a pass rusher. So instead of having four guys on the line rushing for the quarterback, you got three guys on the line and then one linebacker. That's kind of the difference between the three, three, five. And then the five secondary players, two cornerbacks, one nickelback, a free safety and a strong safety. So that's basically the three, three, five is not much different than the three, four other than shifting a linebacker back into the backfield and shifting a defensive lineman back into the middle of the defensive, the defense and acting as a linebacker. So that's kind of the difference that you're seeing now as opposed to before. So all this is for the players on the defense here is just figuring out the new scheme, figuring out where they're going to be. They're still hitting the same holes. They're still trying to get to the quarterback. So that's not much different. It's just a new look and the execution that needs to gel getting further into this season. And since they aren't really allowed to do any teamwork anymore outside of weightlifting and maybe some drills without pads, hopefully they got everything down that they needed to right now because that could be a weak point when they get to start playing in August. The the defense, it's all new. Andy Avalos is new. So there's going to be some hiccups. And 
I mean, if it goes as perfectly as, as the spring game did this weekend, there probably won't be many. But you always expect that with a new guy coming in that's trying to install a whole different scheme that hasn't been played before at the University of Oregon. A couple of guys on defense that were really standouts for the spring game, Steve Stevens and Michael Wright, absolutely putting on a show. Seven tackles for Stevens, five of them by himself. Looks like Wright had five tackles and that interception as well late against Tyler Shuck. So good to see guys on defense really putting the effort out there, even though it's not necessarily a game that you're going to remember, but these guys are out there trying to get better. And that's what's important. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau looks like the former five-star recruit has uh, been practicing with the first team now. He's going to be a big piece for the Ducks on the front line along with Jordan Scott this year. Uh, obviously, not as many returning guys on the defense for Oregon as they do on the offense. They got 10 guys, 10 guys returning on the offense, minus Dylan Mitchell. The entire offensive line is coming back. I mean, when you got Panay Sewell and Throckmorton and Hanson and everybody that's Dallas Warmack transferring and then playing from Alabama and being really, really solid last year for the Oregon Ducks. I mean, you just know that there's something special that's going on down in Eugene for this year. So many guys coming back and then insert to replace those guys, Kayvon Thibodeau, Isaac Slade, Mautatia. Looks like he's going to be the other starting linebacker next to Troy Dye. And Troy Dye leading the team last year in tackles with 115. Just a lot to be excited about if you're an Oregon Ducks football fan and a lot to look forward to come summertime. I just Can they just start summer practice already? Just get this going. We're only in April, May, June, July, August. So we're four months away from actually seeing some games for Oregon. I just want to start this right now. So really good performance on the defensive end as well during the spring game. Defensive coordinator Andy Avalos should be happy with the way that their defense performed on Saturday. It's going to be a special unit. The depth and versatility and athleticism they possess, it's continuing that tradition of speed at Oregon, but still going to be a new look for fans. So looks like if we give Andy Avalos the chance to continue to improve his players will. The schemes are going to fit just fine. They've got, like I said, four months to get stronger, faster, and learn those identities and start practice here later in the summer leading up to this game against Auburn to open the season. They've got a lot to fight for. They've got a lot to prepare for. But I think the sky is the limit for the Oregon Ducks football program right now. And that culture that Mario Cristobal has built, just keeping that going is imperative. And that's why I think the sky is the limit, but only if Mario Cristobal can be the leader that he wants to be. All right, when we come back, we're going to take a look around the NFL draft prospects for Oregon Ducks football players coming out in 2019. Also, this week in Ducks history, do you know all of the 17 Ducks players that have been drafted in the NFL draft's first round? We'll go through them next on the weekly Webfoot Review on SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
This is the weekly web foot review for SB Nation and Addicted to Quack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you talking Oregon Ducks athletics. We've been focusing on the football team the last few minutes and breaking down what I saw and what you saw at the spring game last weekend. That's that's our fix, folks. Now that we can't watch any football for at least college football for the next four months, now we have to hope that the Ducks get better and build on that performance from this last weekend. And speaking of Oregon Ducks football players, we got to talk about the guys that left the team this year and that are set to go in the NFL draft. The NFL draft set to kick off this Thursday. That is April 25th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So it doesn't look good for any Ducks going in the first round, but there's a few guys that should expect to go in the draft anyways at some point. We'll start with the biggest name of the bunch. That's wide receiver junior Dylan Mitchell. The only guy to leave a year early and the only starter on offense not returning to Oregon for 2019. So he raised his draft stock at the combine by showing the ability to stretch the field. But he's only looking at this point at a fourth or fifth round pick. He really was fast at the combine. 40 yard dash was 4.46. That was in the top third of receivers who ran that day. So it's not like he's not quick, but only the fourth or fifth round. I mean, this is a kid coming off of a thousand plus yards receiving for Oregon as well as 10 touchdowns. You know, Dylan, I'm wondering if it was a mistake for you to go to the NFL draft. I'm wondering if you could have done well for yourself to stay for your senior year I bet you that Justin Herbert making you look good for another year would absolutely up your payday and get you at least into the second or first round. I mean, you're that talented, Dylan. I don't get it. I'm a little disappointed that it's that low of a projection for such a highly touted wide receiver. And maybe he'll be a sleeper pick, but I think he's better than fourth or fifth round. And I really think another year at Oregon would have shown NFL scouts that he is, and then they would put him in the same level that I've got him in my mind. I think he's second or third round, but obviously I'm no Mel Kuyper. I cannot scout football players for the life of me when it comes to seeing who's ready for professional level play. I mean, he's physical enough. He's got the athleticism, but he is only looking at a fourth or fifth round projected pick that's that's what he gets for leaving the University of Oregon after his junior year. I guess it's a gamble. And if he does make a roster, it's some money while he's getting paid. So maybe he's just trying to get that cash early. I, I don't know. I don't know what's in Dylan Mitchell's heart. All I know is I'm hearing a lot of people saying that he probably should have stayed at the University of Oregon for his senior year. So I hope Dylan Mitchell goes in the fourth round. Be great kind of annoying to see ducks slipping down into the fifth sixth and seventh rounds i know somebody's got to be there but oregon has a history in the last 10 15 years of bringing in really talented guys and maybe just in the past few years nfl scouts are starting to pick up on that seeing that the level of players from oregon is a bit different than it has been i mean maybe 20 years ago but i don't know i think dylan mitchell really could have done well for himself by staying at Oregon another year. All right, the next guy 
that is projected to go into the NFL draft, defensive end Jalen Jelks. Probably the third round. People are saying he's really good, though, and with his versatility, with his speed, he might slip up into the end of the second round. He can play all over. There's been a lot of comparisons to DeForest Buckner from Oregon, of course, went seventh overall to the 49ers in 2016. He's doing great right now, so I don't think that's a knock at all. If he's being compared to DeForest Buckner and someone who went in the first round top 10, but you could get him in the second round, just like just the perspective alone that someone could be like that. If I'm a GM, I'll take him. I like potential. I like upside. And Jalen Jelks is coming into the NFL with a lot of upside. He showed to GMs, hey, I've got length. He was engaging while he was interviewing at the Combine. Sounds like he's already met with the Denver Broncos. Rumor has it he also met with the Seattle Seahawks earlier in the offseason. And for a defensive end, he's fast. 40-yard dash time for Jalen Jelks, 4.92 seconds. Uh, That's what I'm talking about, the versatility there. He's definitely going to go in the third round, possibly late second round. And I know a lot of GMs are looking at him because he's versatile and he could fit pretty much any scheme and start playing in the NFL tomorrow. He's got that body. All right, the next prospective draft pick for Oregon, linebacker Justin Hollins, he is projected to go in the third or fourth round. He is a guy that has done really well for himself with this offseason going into the NFL draft. He earned MVP honors at the East-West Shrine game, opened a lot of eyes there. He had a strong combine, one of the best workouts amongst guys that rush from the edge. He ran a 40-yard dash, a 4.5 flat. That's pretty good for a linebacker. He's smooth, he's athletic, you can't go wrong taking a guy like Justin Hollins in the third or fourth round. He's got that speed, he's got that closing speed to really get to a quarterback, to really get to somebody getting around the edge, and I think he's going to succeed in the NFL as well. Good luck, Justin Hollins. Also, uh, looking at Ugo Amadi, projected right now to be one of the lowest actual draft picks for Ducks this year. He was solid in the 40-yard dash, 4-5-2, but... His quickness obviously been a huge strength trying to get out and keep up with guys running vertical routes. That's where Ugo Amadi can hurt you on the defensive end. He's the Lombardi Trophy winner. He's got a big wingspan. And with such a big wingspan from a short guy, it's kind of making NFL GMs go, wait a second. So I think that Ugo Amadi that late in the NFL draft is going to be a steal for whichever team gets him. Last but certainly not least on the draft board for former Oregon Ducks players is tight end Keno Dillon. So looking at a fourth round projection right now, he only played a year for Oregon, transferred for his senior year from South Florida. He played in nine games and made one start. Eight catches, 110 yards, two touchdowns. So it's not the statistics that these scouts are seeing from him that make them raise their eyebrows. It's his physicality. It's his speed. It's how big he is. It's that he can catch a ball in open space and take it upfield for you. So Cano Dillon projected to go in the fourth round right now, and that seems to be a pretty safe bet for him. Also, guys that are available but probably won't get drafted, uh, Kaluna Apelu, Tony Brooks-James, 
they obviously had a lot of injuries to deal with during their senior seasons. And they're going to look at, you know, some undrafted free agent contracts. And that is what it is for them. But Tony Brooks James talented enough to where he will most likely get onto a roster somewhere, not, not just a practice squad, but a roster as the second or third running back in the NFL. I firmly believe Tony Brooks James is that good. Also working out Charles Nelson, wide receiver and a couple of linebackers, Jimmy Swain and Poe Palete Gore. So pro day, maybe got themselves into a conversation for some undrafted free agent contracts after the draft. So good luck to Tony Brooks James too. He's got talent to play in the NFL. We'll see if his physicality and his size can translate to the next level. All right, now that we've gotten all the NFL draft talk out of the way, we have got to get to our weekly feature, This Week in History. Every week, we will look at a historical event that has happened around this time of year in the history of Oregon Ducks athletics. And since we're at that time of year, NFL draft time, which Oregon Ducks were drafted in the first round? So there's 17 Oregon Ducks who were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. So let's break them down. We'll go all the way back to the mid-50s up to 2016. And the most recent Oregon Ducks first-round draft pick was DeForest Buckner back in 2016 to the San Francisco 49ers. So we'll end with DeForest Buckner. You probably remember him, but the guy we're starting with, I would say a lot of older Ducks fans remember him. The first ever first round pick for the Oregon Ducks was actually the first overall pick. 1955 to the Baltimore Colts quarterback George Shaw was taken first overall. He led Grant High School to two state championships before enrolling at Oregon. All-American in football and basketball, Shaw is famous for being the Colts quarterback that gave way to the all-time great Johnny Unitas after Shaw broke his leg in 1956. Check this out. He was also replaced as the starter for the Minnesota Vikings. How's this for great treatment? You start the first ever game for a franchise. That's what George Shaw did. He started the first ever game for the Minnesota Vikings that they ever played and then was replaced by another Hall of Famer, Fran Tarkenton. He retired from the NFL in 1962 and passed away in Portland at the age of 64 back in 1998. Gosh, I'm trying to figure out how it would feel <laughs> to be overtaken by two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in my life. I don't know how well that would sit with me. Next, we have Jim Smith, defensive back taken 12th overall in 1968 by the Washington Redskins. He was nicknamed Yazoo because he's from Yazoo City, Michigan. He was an All-American that played all 14 games during his rookie season in the NFL, but ended up suffering a severe neck injury that ended his career at that point. So Jim Smith taken 12th overall in 1968. Next up, Bobby Moore, or you might know him now as Ahmad Rashad. Fourth overall, taken as, this is important, a wide receiver by the St. Louis, yes, the St. Louis Cardinals. There is no creativity in sports. The St. Louis Cardinals are a baseball team now and decided to just take that team with them to Arizona when they left St. Louis to become the Arizona Cardinals. So now you got the Arizona Cardinals and the St. Louis Cardinals. That's just great. Stupid in my opinion. Anyways, Bobby Moore, 
Ahmad Rashad taken fourth overall by the St. Louis Cardinals, played wide receiver and running back at Oregon, shared the backfield with Dan Fouts. Of course, Dan Fouts went in the third round in 1973 to the San Diego Chargers, went on to a Hall of Fame career for San Diego. Caught 44 passes for touchdowns, Ahmad Rashad did in the NFL over his career, then went on to a prominent media career. I mostly remember him as the host of NBA Inside Stuff for a long time. 16 seasons to be exact. Next first round ducky, Tom Drugas. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Tom Drugas, offensive lineman taken 22nd overall in 1972 by the Baltimore Colts. He played high school football in Beaverton at Sunset High School. A lot of Ahmad Rashad's and Dan Faust's success in Eugene is thanks to the blocking of Tom Drugas. He was only in the NFL a few seasons before he hung it up in 1976. Currently, though, living in Idaho, started a real estate company doing quite well out there. So Tom Drugas, the best blocker and the lead blocker, really, for the likes of Ahmad Rashad and Dan Fouts, went 22nd overall back in 1972 to the Baltimore Colts. The Ducks had to wait three years after that to see another player taken in the first round. Next up was Russ Francis, tight end taken at 16th overall in 1975 by the New England Patriots. Check this out. Another local kid went to Pleasant Hill High School, also through a javelin at U of O. But he sat out his senior season and then enrolled over at OSU. Yes, Oregon State University, so he would be eligible for the 1975 draft. It's like an early Thomas Tyner. I just don't think Russ Francis got the eligibility that he was looking for. He did have a good career in the NFL, 393 receptions, 5,200 yards, 40 touchdowns with the Patriots and the 49ers. Also a three-time Pro Bowler, so pretty cool to see somebody in the middle of the first round, even back in the 70s, have a nice, solid career in the NFL out of Oregon. In the next NFL draft, 18th overall was Mario Clark, defensive back taken by the Buffalo Bills. This kid came out and had 25 interceptions by the age of 27. But after that, the next three years, he would only have one more and retired after those three years after that. So basically by the age of 30, after having a really good first part of his career, ended up fizzling out in the NFL, did Mario Clark. Although he did win a Super Bowl with the 49ers in his final season in 1984. So good for Mario Clark out of Oregon. All right, this next one, the Ducks had to wait a long time for their next number one overall pick, Chris Miller. You remember him. If you don't, he was a quarterback taken 13th overall by the Atlanta Falcons. He's from Sheldon High School. He's in the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. Wasn't getting recruited by higher profile teams out of high school because of concern about a knee injury. Guy threw for almost 20,000 yards in the NFL, though was with the Falcons, signed a free agent contract, I think three years, $9 million with the, at the time, the LA Rams. And back in the day in 1994, that's a lot of cheddar, yo. But later in the 90s, he was forced to retire due to concussions. He was the head coach for football at South Eugene until 06, then went on to coach back in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals. He was the quarterback's coach for them from 2009 to 2012. And currently, good for him, is the West Lynn High School football coach. So staying local, Chris Miller out at West Lynn. Shout out to Chris Miller. We're talking about you this week on the Weekly Webfoot Review. And it's really cool to see an Oregon Ducks quarterback on this list so far back 
in the 80s because you're going to hear about a lot of quarterbacks coming up here in the next few years that were taken in the first round coming out of Oregon. Nine years later, a defensive back by the name of Alex Molden was taken 11th overall by the New Orleans Saints. Problem that Alex Molden had, if you remember back in 1992, this was the kid that tore every major ligament in his knee during the Independence Bowl that season. Ended up having to go through about nine months of rehab, came back, did okay, and put himself obviously near the top of the NFL draft conversation by the end of his career. He was on a Ducks team that went to the Rose Bowl in 1995. He had 300 tackles and 12 picks over an eight-year career in the NFL. So it's not like he was horrible, just not necessarily having that longer career that a lot of guys thought that he would have when he was talented coming out of the University of Oregon at such a young age. All right, now we're getting into lots of quarterback territory here. So moving up three more years, 1999. Anybody remember who was taken third overall by the Cincinnati Bengals in 1999? Yeah, that's right. It was Akili Smith after a stellar career at Oregon, a short one, but a lot of heads turned because he threw 30 touchdowns over just 11 starts. That vaulted him to the top of the draft board in a group of big-name quarterbacks. He went right behind Tim Couch and Donovan McNabb in the NFL draft. Lots of people forgetting that Akili did pursue baseball first. He got drafted in the seventh round of the 1993 MLB draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates when he was 18. He never made the majors, though, so he switched to football. His NFL career lasted literally three seasons before fizzling out. The Bengals actually famously turned down a package of nine draft picks. Yes, you heard me correctly. The Bengals turned down a package of nine draft picks from Mike Ditka and the New Orleans Saints. They were desperately trying to get up that high to get Ricky Williams. I mean, nine draft picks, uh, that's the possibility of stability for your team for years going forward. If you use the draft picks correctly anyways... Not like they used number three correctly on Akili Smith. They liked his athleticism while unproven. And oh, how they were wrong. Yeah, getting released after that 2 season. Akili Smith playing a couple of years in the CFL before hanging up his cleats entirely. And according to his Twitter, he is now a quarterback trainer. Actually would love to talk to Akili Smith sometime here on the weekly Webfoot Review. That's definitely an interview that we're going to be efforting throughout the rest of the year. Next up, quarterback Joey Harrington. Sore spot for some Duck fans. Personally, I think that he could have played a lot better in the NFL if he had a better coach and if he had better position players and tools around him. He had a horrible offensive line in Detroit. He had a horrible running back. He had a horrible coach in Marty Marty Morningwig, excuse me, and then another horrible coach in Steve Mariucci after that. Mariucci was great in San Francisco, Decided to go to Detroit, took Jeff Garcia with him, and that's the way that it was for Joey Harrington. And then Dre Bly, after the fact, blaming Steve Mariucci's firing on Joey Harrington. Joey, the highest profile quarterback to come out of Oregon ever at the time. Of course, famously received a fake letter of intent from Oregon head coach Len Casanova right after being born because both his dad and his grandpa played quarterback for Oregon. He was fourth in the Heisman voting in 2001, lost to Eric Crouch. I think that's stupid. 
What a mistake those Heisman voters made. If you don't remember Eric Crouch, he was the quarterback for Nebraska. He ended up getting drafted by, at the time, the St. Louis Rams as a wide freaking receiver. And I'd have to look it up, but I think it was a pretty late pick, like fifth or sixth round pick. Just, hey, let's see what you can do. You can run. He played horribly in the national championship that year against Miami. I still think that Oregon should have matched up against Miami for the 2002 national championship, but I digress. So Joey spending a few years in Detroit among a lot of coaching drama. He ended up getting benched in 2005 and traded to the Dolphins at the end of the year. He spent time as a backup in Atlanta, New Orleans, but after the Saints released him in 2009, he unofficially retired. Now a radio analyst for the Oregon Ducks and continues to be involved in a ton of local charities. And he's just a good guy. I know Joey personally. I've worked with him when he started getting into the media stuff after his NFL career ended. And he's such a good person. And he was a talented quarterback. If he had pieces around him in the NFL, he would have succeeded. I can guarantee that. And bad coaching and bad planning set him up to look pretty bad in the NFL. All right, getting through these last few ducks, these guys are a lot more current and viewers still playing in the league right now. A couple of retirees, actually. Haloti Nada, he went 12th overall in 06 to the Baltimore Ravens, a very exciting recruit. He was fast for a defensive lineman when he was recruited. He was the number two overall prospect that season. One of the best players in college football when he entered the NFL draft, won the Morris Trophy in 05 in his senior year as well. I mean, not much to say about Haloti Nada other than that he was a stud for his entire career in the NFL. 515 tackles, 32 and a half sacks. Heck, he even managed five interceptions. He retired on his 35th birthday last month, sending out a picture from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I loved watching Haloti Nada, and best of luck to you, Haloti, in retirement. Someone that just retired this week, former Ducks running back Jonathan Stewart. A fake Statue of Liberty to Stewart to the outside. Stewart with a hurdle inside the 20, and he bulldozes his way down near the 10-yard line. What a run by Jonathan Stewart. And Paul said he's 230 pounds, he'll run over you. When he was in high school, they said he was one of the greatest running backs in Oregon history. The guy they said was the best one ever is over on their sideline. I know you fellas saw him before the game. There he is. Then Bobby Moore. Now, as we know him, of course, Ahmad Rashad. Yeah, that was actually against Michigan when Jonathan Stewart was able to run around the end on that Statue of Liberty there and get like a 30-yard gain. I mean, he's just so fast. And in the NFL, same deal. 7,300 yards, 51 touchdowns for his career. He's got a bunch of franchise records for the Panthers. He's actually their leading rusher all time. He's their leader in rushing attempts of all time. And it's really great to see such a nice career being wrapped up in such a nice way for Jonathan Stewart this week, signing that contract with the Panthers to retire as a Panther with the team that drafted him. All right, just a few more names to go here. Next up, all the way to 2013, five years after Jonathan Stewart Third overall to the Miami Dolphins, Deion Jordan. Deion Jordan has had a few issues in the NFL. Uh, he showed incredible athletic ability at the Combine in 2013. A 4-5-4-40, a 32.5-inch vertical, a great rookie year with 26 tackles. But after that, 
he was caught violating the league's performance-enhancing drug policy. That's right. Three times was suspended. Once for four games. During that suspension, the NFL found him to have violated the PED policy again, added two more games to that suspension, and again the next year was suspended for the same thing and out for the whole season. He's still officially a free agent right now after dealing with so many suspensions and injuries. And you got to wonder a guy like that, so talented at Oregon, making the transition to the NFL. I mean, did he use that kind of stuff when he started in the NFL or did he get to the NFL and realize, oh, you know what? These guys are bigger. These guys are stronger. I need to do something to keep up. And and either way, it's pretty sad and pretty unfortunate that Deion Jordan, such a talented player when we watched him at Oregon, is in this situation now. But I guess that's life, and you make a decision, and he made a decision multiple times, and you can't do that over and over again. I think the last test, it wasn't even necessarily a failed test, but he had diluted his sample. So he's obviously trying to hide something. So Deion Jordan, unfortunately, fizzling out in the NFL because of injuries and PED problems. All right, next up, that same year, not many people remember this, Kyle Long, 20th overall. This is once again 2013 to the Chicago Bears. Son of Howie Long, and he's had a quiet career as a Chicago Bear, pretty much the same as when he was an Oregon Duck. Joined midway through his college career, came to Eugene, spent one season there, started six games, wasn't granted an extra year of eligibility by the NCAA, so was forced to enter the NFL draft. Doesn't sound that sad for him. <laughs> All right, next up, the big one, everybody's favorite, the Heisman Trophy winner in 2014, Marcus Mariota, quarterback number two overall to the Tennessee Titans back in 2015. If you forgot, it was the question, who's better, Jameis Winston out of Florida State or Marcus Mariota? Out of Oregon. Well, if you remember the 2015 Rose Bowl, Marcus Mariota beat down Jameis Winston and Florida State. He also led Oregon to the 2013 Fiesta Bowl, the 2013 Alamo Bowl, and the national championship after that Rose Bowl game, losing to Ohio State, of course. The Ducks actually opened the Marcus Mariota Sports Performance Center in 2016. How cool is that, Dana Eugene? So he's been okay in the NFL, but has fought through a lot of injuries, and let's be honest, he's not on the most talented team out there right now in the Tennessee Titans. He is good enough to take a team to the Super Bowl, though. He's just got to get some pieces around him, so we'll see if Marcus Mariota can win a Super Bowl. He's got the money. He's going to continue getting the money. He's a talented quarterback. So don't forget about Marcus Mariota. I know that he's not very visible playing for the Tennessee Titans, but... He is a great NFL quarterback, and he has the talent, if he gets the other pieces, to take a team to the Super Bowl. All right, two more Oregon Ducks that have gone in the first round. Arik Armstead. Actually, both of these guys have gone to the same team. Arik Armstead drafted 17th overall by the San Francisco 49ers in 2015. Had actually originally committed to USC, but chose Oregon after they assured him that they would let him play defense. A lot of schools wanted to put him on the offensive line. If you remember Arik Armstead, he actually played one game of basketball at Oregon before quitting that and focusing on football. Good decision. <laughs> He's had an okay career in the NFL so far. 98 tackles to his name, but has been fighting various injuries at times. 
Also, Auric has a brother that played in the CFL. All right, last but certainly not least, you heard me bring him up at the start. It's DeForest Buckner, also drafted by the San Francisco 49ers, seventh overall in 2016. This kid is a beast. Three-year starter at Oregon and was the top defensive lineman available in the 2016 draft. He's only been in the league three seasons, but check this, 200 tackles. He also had 12 sacks for the Niners just last year, and that earned him his first Pro Bowl appearance. I'm throwing an early prediction out there for DeForest Buckner that he will get to the Hall of Fame if he keeps this level of play up. I mean, 200 tackles in three seasons? Guy's a beast. Guy knows where the ball is. He's got that sixth sense on the football field that is so valuable, and I think the reason that he pushed his draft stock up to seventh overall for the San Francisco 49ers in 2016. So those are all 17 Ducks drafted in the first round of the NFL Draft. Ducks fans, I hope I took you down memory lane, made you think about some of those better games that you've watched in the past, some of those really cool plays. I just will never forget, for instance, Joey Harrington just beating Colorado down in that 03 Fiesta Bowl. You, you think of his worst game as a Duck, the five-interception performance in the Civil War earlier in his Oregon career. I mean, gosh, it, I guess... It's fun to think about this, but starting to make me feel old, too. So I apologize to any of you listeners if this made you feel old, but it is really cool to reflect on some of the best players that have played at my favorite school, the University of Oregon, at least on the football side. All right, that is it for this week in Ducks history, and that is it for episode two of the weekly Webfoot Review. Hope you learned something. We're going to keep following the Oregon Ducks recruiting situation on their basketball team on their football team all the coaches for football now heading out and hitting the recruiting trail hard so we're going to continue to follow that coming up on this podcast we're going to look at all the teams around the pac 12 as we get closer to the start of college football season at the end of august next week we're going to go in depth and examine the best players to ever get drafted from the university of oregon i'm talking guys like dan fouts Anthony Newman, people that didn't go in the first round, but were the best ever Oregon Ducks to play in the NFL. So we're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast, and we're going to have a lot of Oregon Ducks content for you to consume. Once again, I'm Jordan Schultz for the weekly Webfoot review for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Go Ducks! The weekly Webfoot review. The podcast.